Take your Bible and turn to 2 John. Truth and love, the defining qualities of a Christian community. Truth and love, the defining qualities of a Christian community. We're going to read the entire letter. There's less than 300 words in this little postcard from John to the elect lady. Less than 300 words. Let's read it together. Listen as I read. (coughs) The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to His commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. (coughs) John, the apostle, wrote this letter. It's been almost undisputed throughout church history that this letter was one of three letters sent together, packaged together, 1 John through 3 John. 1 John's the largest letter and was written anonymously to churches, so it was circulated throughout Asia in the area where John was a pastor. But these two letters, 2 John, the one we're focusing on today, and 3 John were directly addressed to local congregations that were struggling in one thing, and that is, they were being led astray by people who claimed to have a higher spirituality, and they were losing sight of the commandment of Jesus Christ. That, that seems to be the heart of the apostles. He writes this letter. John is known as the apostle of love. If you read his gospel, we've spent, I don't know how long, four years, I think, going through the gospel of John together. You remember how often he talked in such loving language about Jesus Christ. So much so that he was the beloved disciple. The most loved disciple. He was probably the first cousin of Jesus. So, a young disciple. First cousin to the Lord. Beloved by the Lord and loving the Lord and His people more than maybe others in His company. He was a man who was passionate for the truth. 
And he was grounded in that truth that his love flowed out to others who loved the truth the way he did. You know, there's debate about this letter. <coughs> its authorship is not questioned often, but who it's written to is often in debate. And you see in that first verse there that he said he refers this letter to an elect lady. And uh, the word there for lady is the first, uh, uh, the, the, um, the, uh, first person address is a, an address of a common name in their day for ladies. And so some have held that this letter was written to a woman who had children and probably the church he was writing to met in her house. And so John was writing to a woman. I don't hold that view. I believe that this letter was written to the church, which is the elect lady. Why would I get that? Well, because the, the church and the people of Israel often referred to in the feminine. We hear in Ephesians 5 that the church is the bride of Christ. We hear in the Old Testament, Ezekiel 16, that God took Israel as his bride when she was yet a young and fledgling Nation. He took her as his own and he loved her dearly. The whole book of Hosea is used as an example of the way God loves his wife. Relentlessly, never ending in covenant love. This is the way the Lord loves his church. And it's the way God loves his people. And so I believe that this letter is written to the church. It's written to the church that is in the area of, of uh, Asia. And it's being led astray now. It's being taken captive by false teaching, unfortunately. Or it could be. It's in danger of this. I think the warning goes to the church in general. And so I think this letter, whether it's written to a specific woman or to the church at large, it addresses directly some things I think our church in particular struggles with. And just for self-confession, that I struggle with. How do you think the world around us characterizes Grace Fellowship? What do you think the first thing that comes to their mind when they hear of Grace Fellowship or they come in contact with you and you say, I go to Grace Fellowship? What do you think they think about? Well, some of it we wouldn't want to say publicly, right? I mean, some people don't have a very high opinion of us, and that's okay. I understand that. But there's one thing that our church is really well known for, and that is that we hold tightly to doctrine, to truth. We're a people grounded in the truth. And that is a great testimony. But I think, like the apostle here, there needs to be a check. Make sure that that truth is seasoned. That that truth is flowing out to the world. Not as harsh truth, but as love. As quickly as they think of the church at Grace Fellowship as a truthful body, they should immediately think of it as a loving body. I know you to be a loving people. I've been with you now, some of you, for 12 years, and the church has been here for almost, or going on eight and a half. We're out eight, <coughs> eight and a half now, and the church is growing. And, and yet I know, I know you, and I know you as a loving people. When time of need has arisen in our body, you've always rallied to the cause. Not because you've been manipulated or forced, but because you want to rally to the cause. And you've sacrificed to take care of people in need. 
I was just in conversation this week with someone and talking about the ministry of the church. And we were talking about benevolence. And he was bemoaning the fact their church doesn't do benevolence. And he said, it was a church about our size. And he said, well, y'all probably are the same way. And I said, oh, no. Uh-uh. No, thousands of dollars a year spent in benevolence at our church. Thousands of dollars. Last year, $15,000 in benevolence from the budget, giving to people in need, both people in this church and people outside this church in the community. No strings attached, just you need, you have need, we want to meet your needs. I know you as a loving body, but my warning to myself and, and to you is that we not become so focused on a type of truth that we lose sight of the importance of love for one another which flows out into the world. Notice I said a type of truth. Because what I believe John is teaching here, and I'm going to give you my point up front, is that the community of Jesus Christ is defined, is known as a people, rooted in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Founded on the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore, that community will love everyone who confesses that gospel and love all of those who don't confess it so that they share that gospel so they might be saved, so they don't go off and stray and in error. That's the characteristic of a community of Christ. In other words, you should not be here joining this church or a part of this church because you feel comfortable in some secular way here. The people dress the way I dress. The people think the way I think. The people act the way I act. They live in the neighborhood I live in. That shouldn't be what joins us together. But rather what joins this church together should be a commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ displayed in love. Love for Christ. Love for one another. That's exactly what John's teaching in this letter. And I think it applies directly to us. Grace Fellowship is a community built on the truth of the gospel that expresses itself in love. I want to commend this church. I'm proud, thankful for you. This is not a sermon that I dreaded to preach. It's a good opportunity for me to say to you, I've seen you love. I see how you love one another. How you spend time at one another's homes. How you care for one another when times of need. How you reach to those in need in the community. You've never darkened the door of this church. And I'm thankful for that. And I see that as an act overflowing from the fact we're rooted and founded in the truth of the gospel. We're a community brought together by the truth of the gospel. Look at verse 1 there. The elder, I find that very, uh, very authenticating for this letter. Some might question its authenticity. Is this really John? But should we... I mean, if someone's falsifying a letter from the Apostle John, do you really think they'd take the term elder? Is that the highest title that would come to mind for the Apostle John? No. If I was to talk to you and say, tell me, what was John? The first thing on your list would be apostle, disciple, one chosen by Jesus Christ. He doesn't use that title. He uses, in his mind, an equally important title, but not one the world would have recognized as distinguishing. He calls himself an elder, an overseer, a pastor. That's who he is. He's an elder to the elect lady. Again, I, I believe this is a use of the church and her children, the church members. Look what he says, though. 
whom, he defines it, whom, this church, I love in truth. This is, this is a community brought together by the truth of the gospel. He doesn't love them because they love the same football team he loves. He doesn't love them because they talk about the outdoors activities that he likes to talk about. Or they work in the same area of business that he works in. He loves them for one thing. They are in the truth. It's a community founded in the truth. The truth of the gospel. The Apostle John uses the term truth a lot. And he uses it for a lot of different reasons. He uses it to talk about truth in general. He uses it to talk about truth in reference to Jesus Christ as a title to Jesus Christ. John 14 verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's the title of, of Jesus Christ. But here he's using it, as he does most often, to refer to the truth of the gospel. Not just any truth. Not just truth in general. Not just truths that we find true in the world, but the truth of the gospel. So this church, and I believe our church, is founded on the truth of the gospel. What unites these people, what brings them together, is the gospel. And what brings this church together, if you've been around it very often, is the truth of the gospel. The truth is, some of you wouldn't hang out with anybody else in this church except that you both are saved by the same gospel. I'm not trying to be, you know, it's funny, but I, I'm not joking, Emma. I mean, be honest, you nod your head and get away with it right now. You, some of you don't really like, in human terms, like anybody else in this room, really. You don't like the same things. You don't laugh at the same jokes. You don't do the same things on the weekend. You look around and think, these people are odd. Not in reference that you're the oddball, you know? What brings you to this place? The gospel of Jesus Christ brings you here. The proclamation of the truth and the lives being lived out of that gospel truth draw you back Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. I think about the testimony of Matt Chandler when he was talking about the pastor of the, of, of, uh, the village church out in, outside of Dallas. And he was talking at together for the gospel. He said, you know, when I was in high school, I moved to a new school and I was working, uh, working on being on the football team. The guy in the locker next to me was this passionate dude for Jesus. And he comes up and says, hey, man, I'm going to share the gospel with you. When would it be a good time for me to share it? He's lost. You know, he's like, well, I guess I don't have an option. You know, so they, they develop a relationship purely around the gospel. That's all they had. And he didn't even believe the gospel. He was a skeptic. He said, the guy invited me to church. I'd go every week. I'd sit in a pew and argue with the preacher the whole time he's talking. That's ridiculous. That's so narrow-minded. I don't believe any of that. And I would leave thinking that was the worst explanation of truth that I've ever heard in my life in my mind. I'm saying this. The guy says, man, that was awesome, wasn't it? And I'm like, yeah, sure. You want to come back? Yeah, sure. When? Tonight? Six? Yeah. All right, good. I'll come back. And he kept coming back. What drew him back there? The truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God working in the truth. There's no denomination that binds this church. I find that exciting. Nobody's here because we're Baptist or because we're Presbyterian or because we're Methodist or Anglican. Nobody. They're not here. Everybody here had to give something up in their tradition to be a part of this church. But they're holding on to what? The truth of the gospel. So like Paul, I mean like John in this letter, I find myself excited about the elect lady, Grace Fellowship, and her members, her children, who I love in the truth. We're a community living by the truth of the gospel. It's not just that we've been saved by the truth of the gospel, but we're living by it. Look what he says about this church. And not only I, but also all who know the truth 
because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. <laughs> that word abide, you recognize that from John 15, don't you? I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, right? That idea that is unique to John, though it's characterized in different ways, the same truth, the fact that we are who we are because we are in Christ. It's not because of something we've believed, we've made up, we've convinced ourselves of, but yet God claimed us for the gospel, brought us into this truth, and planted us like a tender plant in the firm foundation and rich soil of the gospel, and now we're growing up in that gospel. We're part of the vine shooting out from the main branch, Jesus Christ. He's describing that here. It means to live. To abide in means to live out the truth. Not just to know the truth objectively. Not just factually be able to confess the gospel, but the gospel shapes the way you live. So many of you come to my mind as I think about the decisions you've made about where you live, where you work, what you watch, you just, as I was studying this week, you just came to my mind. How you spend your money. How you hang out with people on the weekend. It just flashes of people's faces and families' names came to me. I think about that and I think that's exactly what John's doing here. He's saying, this is a church that I love because they're in the truth. And not only I love them, but all, everybody that's in the truth loves them. Why? Because they live out the truth that they've possessed and that has possessed them. The truth is, Christianity is not about possessing a religion, but about the religion possessing you. You can't simply know the facts of, of Christianity and be changed by it. Those facts have to become real. They have to take on flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. They become your Lord. That's the description he's giving here. The elect lady and her members, who I love in the truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth. Why? Because you live it out. Because you walk it out. Because you are gospel people. But as I was encouraged, I was also thinking about my own life. And I was thinking how discouraging it can be at times. You see, because I just don't choose to tell you about when we're in personal relationship with one another about watching a show I shouldn't have watched. I just tell you about the shows I did watch that were good, right? And I know that my life doesn't always measure up. My life doesn't always measure up when there's an opportunity to display love. I don't always meet the task. I leave my wife crushed. Last night we were sitting on the back porch <coughs> and Amy was talking with me about uh, an issue and she was, she was passionate in her plea to me. And all of a sudden, it dawned on me. An area that I thought I was doing very well in, the Holy Spirit used my wife to say, you're not living in love towards your wife. Thirteen years of living with her, I had no idea the damage I was doing. I wasn't living the truth. I wasn't abiding in the truth of this gospel that I say has radically saved me and changed me towards my wife. We're not talking about some stranger. 
This is my flesh and my blood. I'm not, I'm not ashamed to say I was on my knees, literally and figuratively, pleading for forgiveness. Broken. Some of us need to be there. Our lives are not in keeping with the gospel. We are hurting and hurting and harming the people around us. Sometimes our family, sometimes our neighbors, sometimes our fellow church members. Has this ever crossed your mind? Yeah, I'm upset with that person. I don't really like them. I have no intention of making it right. I can live without that person. I don't need them. When we behave this way, it's not in keeping with the truth we say we possess and we say has possessed to us. Grace Fellowship, we can't just be a people planted in the truth. We have to be a people overflowing in love, in compassion, in repentance, in forgiveness, in dwelling with one another. So, we're people planted in the truth of the gospel. We're people living the truth of the gospel. We are a community receiving the grace, mercy, and peace of God. Look at verse 3. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. From God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. Truth is mentioned five times in the first four verses of this little short letter. Love is mentioned one time after another in this letter. Love and truth. Truth and love. And it's all rooted around the truth of the gospel. Let me again look at verse 3 deeply with you, hopefully to explain it so you just better. This is the common Christian greeting. Grace and peace be with you. This is the way Paul opens his letters. Grace and peace to you. Grace and peace be with you. But notice this is different. This isn't Paul's address. Look what he says. Grace and what? Mercy and peace. There's something going on theologically with this greeting. Grace is the fountainhead of mercy and peace. He's describing the gospel. Listen. Do you want to know why I love the gospel and why I love to preach the gospel? Because it's the only doctrine in all the world. It's the only teaching in all the world that's fountain, that's root, that's source is grace. There's no other system like it. All the false religions of the world begin with something totally different. But not Christianity. Christianity begins with grace. Grace we understand. This term to mean in the New Testament. Receiving what we do not deserve. Unmerited love and favor. And most specifically like here, what, what John's saying, listen, you want to know why you should be preaching the gospel? Why you should be talking to your neighbor and your coworker about these truths? Because the only place in the world where you don't have to earn anything, it's freely given to you. And if you freely received it, why are you not giving it away? If it didn't cost you anything to get into the faith, why aren't you sharing the faith? If you know that it's inexhaustible, the motivation for evangelism in the Bible is very different than our modern motivators. Most of the time, not all the time, most of the time, the motivation for sharing the gospel in the scripture, passing on the faith, is that God's glory be known. 
Can you exhaust the glory of God? Then why do you stop talking about it? Can you outrun the grace of God? Then why are you not talking to the worst of sinners about it? You think they've outsinned it? They're not, they're not worthy of it? Now be careful, Grace Fellowship, that your gospel doesn't become a message tainted with your personality that fits your life and it's not good enough for that poor person down the street who's living an adulterated life of sin. The characteristic of this elect lady is the gospel of Jesus Christ. How do we know? Because when he greets her, he uses the fountainhead, grace. And what bubbles out of grace is mercy and peace. The streams that flow out of grace, that's the way he's writing it, I believe. That he's connecting them intentionally. Grace, mercy, peace. He didn't say peace, mercy, grace. He didn't say mercy, grace, peace. He said them in an order, in a gospel order. Once you've received what you could not earn, free, uncharged, unmerited, out of the love of God, you've received the gospel of Jesus Christ. It flows to you in two ways. You don't get what you deserve and you are at peace with God. You say, what's so fascinating about the gospel? The God of the universe no longer hates me, but He loves me. What's so awesome about the gospel truth? He no longer takes out His wrath on me. He now wraps me in adopting love. He's accepted me as His own. Grace Fellowship, we have to be a people. I have to be a person that cannot stop talking about this truth. The gospel truth. And it's characterized by love. Why? Because our Father in heaven is loving. Anybody who doubts that has never met Him. Doesn't know Him. Listen, we breathe air we didn't earn. We live in the sunshine of His glory that we could not have made. We smell the sweet aroma of a flower. That we have no idea what perfume God mixed together to put it in that lily or in that rose. We don't know how He did what He did, but He's just done it all. And He put us right in the middle of it and said, Now live and enjoy it. What's your responsibility, old man? Enjoy God forever. Enjoy Him. Love Him. Be wrapped up in Him. That's what grace does when people are characterized by this gospel truth. The grace which leads to mercy and peace. They're, in, they're so in, in love with Him, they can't stop talking about Him. We've all been around the newlyweds, right? I mean, come on. Some of you aren't that far removed. And you just wanted to tell that guy, shut up. Why? Because no matter what you were talking about, somehow this dude works it back to his wife. You could be talking about physics, and somehow he would get that around to his wife. Why? Because he's in love with her, and because he's enmeshed with her, and he sees her as a gift, not as something he earned, and he sees her as a blessing to his life. So when you say, I'm in the, I'm in the gospel, man, I got it. Let's move on. We're going to get there. Let's move on to better things. That's simplistic. You don't know the gospel. We should never grow tired of speaking the gospel. We should never grow tired of living the gospel. Because the God that has given us this gospel never tires of pouring out His love through grace and mercy and peace. 
This is the way John opens the letter. I mean, this is just the greeting. I mean, I should spend, if I spent four, you see, I tricked you a little, didn't I? Because I said, there's only, there's less than 300 words. And you thought, that's a short sermon. And I would say, he packed an ocean of truth in one little phrase. That's the characteristic of John. When you read John, you read John's gospel, you think, that's simple. I got it, your first reading. The more you read it, the more you realize, I don't got it. This keeps going. Where's the bottom? He does the same thing in this little postcard he sent to the church. I mean, I can imagine they read it. And the first time they read it, people, most of the congregation was like, oh, that's no big deal. All right. Yeah. And then they, it's again, to sink in. They're like, whoa, everything is a cavern. Everything spreads out. This is inexhaustible. You may be exhausted by the time we're done. Grace Fellowship, we must not only be a community built on the truth of the gospel that expresses itself in love, but Grace Fellowship, we must be a community that loves one another based on the truth of the gospel. Look at verses 4 through 6. He says that he's rejoicing greatly to find some, not all, some of your children walking in the truth. Now, don't confuse this with 3 John, where in that letter, he says in verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my ch- children are walking in the truth. That's the one most commonly quoted. When you read Second John, you think you're there, but you're not. It's a little different. He's saying, some of the church is in the truth, and that gives me great joy. What's the implied truth there? Some of them are not walking in the truth which leads to great discouragement if we don't know the gospel well. We must be a community rejoicing in the fact that our members are living in the truth. The greatest joy in your life and in my life should not be who won the ball game, should not be a raise at work, should not be the success of our children in academics, but it should be someone coming to the truth of the gospel for the first time. We should rejoice when we see it. The greatest joy in our life should be characterized by that older saint who's made it to 70, 75, 80, 85 and lived a life rooted in the gospel and dies. And our greatest joy should be they completed their course, they finished the race, they've reached and attained the goal that they were stretching for. Our greatest joy, Grace Fellowship, should be wrapped up in people coming into the gospel and living in the gospel and staying in the gospel until they die. And that should be the greatest joy of the pastors of this church. That the community is a truthful community, living in the truth of the gospel. We must be a community not only rejoicing that people are in the gospel, but we must be a community living in loving community with our fellow believers. Look at what he says in verse 5 and 6. And now I ask you, dear lady, (coughs) not as though I were writing you a new command. That's what he says in 1 John chapter 1. He says, I'm not writing you a new command. This is an old one. Same thing he says here. But the one you have had from the beginning. Not just from the beginning of Christ's life, but from the beginning. All the way back to the Garden of Eden. All the way back to the expression of love and grace through the law. All of the Old Testament hangs on what? Love the Lord your God with what? All your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself All the law and prophets hang on these two things. This isn't a new command. This is an old command you've had from the very beginning. I'm not telling you anything new. Not as though I were writing a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. He's 
abbreviating. He's trying to be terse here, but it overflows, doesn't it? He's trying to make it clear. Love for one another comes only from love with God. You cannot love one another the way John's talking about it if you don't love God. It's impossible. And you don't love God if you don't love one another. See 1 John chapter 3. If you say you love God and you don't love your neighbor, the love of God is not in you. You are still in the world. You're of the evil one. The whole defining characteristic of the gospel community is in some ways the outflow of love. How do we know we have the truth of the gospel rooted in our souls? We love one another. How can we test our gospel truth? Do we love one another? Really love one another? That is what he's communicating here in verse 5. That we must be a community, living in loving community. Now I want to define this word love. I have defined truth. Let me define love quickly. Love, love in this sense, is not emotion. And it is not physical. It is spiritual. The word he uses here is a love like God has. It's a spiritual love. It's a willful love. It's a never-ending love. The love he's referring to in this letter, and in throughout his letters, by the way, we see it in John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me with God-like love, you'll keep my commandments. We see it in John 13. Not a new commandment I give you, Jesus talking, but an old one. Love one another. That's the command. Love one another. It's a willful love. It's a spiritual love. It's a never-ending love. Now, I just want to get real practical for you. Don't zone out on me. Listen, this is important. Some of you harbor bitterness this morning against other people that are members of this church. And you talk to me about it, but you won't talk to the person about it. Some of you have a real feeling towards me, possibly. I want to tell you, if you harbor that bitterness and you do not love that person enough to go and share the, the hurt, you're not living in the gospel. You can confess the gospel, but you don't know the gospel. Because what you're really saying when you say, I'm not going to go talk to that person, is you're saying, I don't love that person. If that person died tomorrow, it wouldn't impact my life not one bit. And by saying that, you're discounting the truth that Jesus has laid down for us. No greater love has any man than this, than what? He laid down his life for his friends. You want to know why so many of you won't confess your sin to one another and ask forgiveness for offenses that you've done to them or tell them they've offended you? You know why? Because you love yourself more than you love them. You won't even go across the aisle and ask forgiveness or tell them they've offended you because you think too much of yourself. You want to know why some of you are headed to divorce as fast as you can get there? Because you love yourself, you don't love your spouse. They open their heart to you and tell you how you've wounded them and you make excuses. And you say they're petty. No, that's not a gospel love, Grace Fellowship. One of the things that will destroy this church 
as healthy as it is, and it's growing, and there's all this excitement, I just want to warn, just like Johnny is, if you walk away from gospel love, this place will collapse. It can't be held together. If you don't do the one another's, it doesn't matter how true what you preach is. Your life contradicts it. You're a hypocrite. Now, that's true in my life at times, and I've had to see that this week as I've studied this passage. There are people in my life, some of them in my own family, that I would just as soon see them die as me have to go and confess my sin to them. And it's wicked, and it's evil, and it is as serious as murder. And so we need to be known as people who, a community who lives out love. Willful love, spiritual love, unending love, will confess sin and will grant forgiveness. I just, just got to go one more step in practical nature here. I just feel it. I didn't plan this, but I just feel it. Some of you are living in a marriage that's going to be real plain, built on lies. The whole marriage. The large part of the marriage. You've got secrets that if your spouse knew it, you know it could potentially end your marriage. And by harboring that, you're destroying your marriage. And you're not preaching the gospel. And you're not believing the truth of the gospel. And so I want to challenge each of you. Be honest. You cannot be a person of the truth and live a lie. The truth of the gospel means I go to my spouse and admit and confess my sin. Now, spouse, when they do that, as hurtful as it is, don't lie and cover it up and say, well, it doesn't bother me. It may crush you what they have to say. You may leave you in a puddle on the floor. But before the night's over, look them in the eye and say, I forgive you. I love you. We're going to make it. I receive you. You've wounded me. You've hurt me. You've broken our intimacy. But let me tell you, I'm not walking out on you. Some of you need to do it before this week's over. Because if you don't, you're not going to make it. I just want to be honest with you. This letter rips to our very core. Because it's a letter about the gospel being lived out in love. And we're happy to hold on to the gospel and never express love. Or we're happy to hold on to the gospel and express love when it's convenient. No. Godly love is willed love spiritually contained and never ending. Never ending. It's a covenant love. Grace Fellowship, we must be a community that rejects false teachers. Rejects false teachers because this displays our love of the truth. We must protect the church from false teachers or antichrists. Now, I don't want to get on to the end times and whether there is one antichrist or there are many antichrists and your view and opinion of that. But here, he's speaking about anyone who does not believe that Jesus came in the flesh. If you don't believe in the incarnation, you are an antichrist. You're a deceiver. You're a false teacher. That's how important the truth of the gospel is. And I take it that he would apply it to the incarnation, to the sinless life, to the sacrificial death, 
and to the resurrection. All of the truths surrounding Jesus, he would say, if you don't hold those truths as the truth has been presented to you, you're a deceiver and an antichrist. Now, he doesn't mean this about baptism or about some secondary issue. He doesn't push that up to that level. Notice it's a gospel truth. If you lose the incarnation, you lose the gospel. Those are the truths that if you disagree with those, you're rejected. And you should be barred from the fellowship of the community. We have to reject false teachers. We have to protect the church from false teachers. Matter of fact, Paul in Acts 20 warns the people at Ephesus, the pastors at Ephesus, strictly to be watching the sheep as shepherds, protecting them from the false wolves, not from outside, but from inside. They come dressed in clothes like sheep, but they are false teachers destroying the flock. Watch out for them. And it's the same thing John's saying. we got to be on alert. There are false teachers. We must recognize false teachers. That's verse 7. We must recognize false teachers as those who go beyond the Scripture. Verses 8 and 9. These novel ideas that, that come up, like in the 1820s with something called Mormonism. Ideas that have never been taught by the church. But oh, now we want to say it's the gospel. Even the Christian church now, many of its famous leaders are saying, oh, well, Mormonism is different, but it's real. It's Christianity. No, Mormonism is a lie. It is a cult. It is deceiving people. Jehovah's Witnesses are members of cult. They are a false gospel. People that hold on to spiritual Jesus without physical Jesus, liberal theologians and Gnostics in our day, are false teachers and the church can't tolerate them. It has to guard against them. This is a love with teeth in it, in other words. This isn't just your really feel-good kind of emotional love. Let's all just sing Kumbaya and get along together. Roast marshmallows for Jesus together. This isn't that kind of love, soft and chewy and sweet. This is a love based on the truth, flowing from the truth. And if you don't accept the truth, you get no love. You're called to repentance. It's a different fashion of love. It's love with teeth. So, it has to happen in local churches. Anniston Bible Church, some years ago, had a Sunday school teacher. When Bob St. John arrived, he was teaching false doctrine. And the church, to its credit pushed that man to repentance and he would not repent and they barred him from the church. It still happens in our day. We have to guard the church from false teachers. And the way we guard it is we don't give them hospitality. He's very specific. Look what he says in verse 10. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house. The hallmark of first century Christianity is hospitality. Bringing people into your home. He says, if you receive a false teacher in your home, you are guilty of his wickedness. Not only do we guard our church, but we guard our homes. And fathers, I want to say a special word to you. If you're letting your children and your wife watch and listen to false teachers and think it's no big deal, do not be surprised when they reject your faith and they're in some other movement. It's your responsibility, men, to guard your home. It's my responsibility to guard my home. And if it's so necessary, cut off the cable TV and read a good book. Get real practical with guarding, in other words. You can't handle the internet? Cut it off. 
Go to the library and use the internet. You can't handle TV in your home. Your kids are always watching some awful program or some false teacher. You keep seeing it? Cut it off. Not in hatred, in love. And tell them. Don't hide them. Don't say, well, it's getting expensive. Let's cut it off. No, don't be a wimp. Tell them. The stuff coming in that you keep watching, I keep seeing this pattern of life. I want to protect you from it. You obviously aren't mature enough. We're going to cut this off for a time. Get back to the basics. Be on guard, not only in the church, but in your house. That's love. That's the way love plays itself out. Finally, I would say, Grace Fellowship, (coughs) we must maintain face-to-face community so that our love for one another and our love for the truth of the gospel does not fade away. Now, where do I get something like that? Verse 12. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you. The words here indicate face-to-face communication. I want to come to you, look you eyeball to eyeball, hold you, hug you, give you the kiss of fellowship. That's what I want to do. I don't want to write it down. I want to talk to you face-to-face so that our joy may be complete. Grace Fellowship must be a community founded on the truth, loving one another, guarding the church and the community from false teachers. And you can only do that if you're face to face. I just want to end again with a practical call. Jesus Christ changed the world. He changed the world (coughs) because when He came, He pitched his tent and dwelled among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace, love, and truth. That's the same guy wrote that. He was talking about Jesus, same guy we're reading his letter right now to the church. Community, Community is necessary for Christianity. If you exempt yourself from community, you will put yourself in harm of going into false belief. No heretic that has ever walked the planet walked in close community with others. All heretics cut themselves away from the community. They start in the community usually and they espouse their truths and when the community corrects them, they bolt. They get out. And they build a new community. Now, I don't know that any of you are going to in danger of that. But I tell you what we are in danger of. We're in danger of what I've already given the example of. Our church is prone. It has a propensity to live fragmented lives in segregation with the people I like and the people I don't like in the church. And so we do not need to be surprised when the fellowship of the saints and the truth of the gospel begins to be compromised. And one group will be compromising it and your group won't even know it. And John says, I don't want it to be that way. I don't want to just write you a postcard and upbraid you to be in love and in the gospel. I want to see you face to face. I imagine that John came into the church and the place was packed. He's probably meeting in the house. And I can just see the Apostle John, an old man by this time, 
an old man when he, when he wrote this letter. Probably beaten down, physically wasting away. I can see him. You know, he ends up at Patmos. So he was persecuted. I can imagine the old John, not the young, spry, 16, 17-year-old that first started following Jesus. I'd imagine that old man coming in the house and sitting down and teaching. And when it was over, everybody's eating and they're having communion. And before the night's over, that apostle, that elder, that pastor is going to look everybody in the eye. He's going to personally know them. He's going to do all that's necessary to make sure they're still in the gospel. He's going to encourage them to walk in the truth. Can't you hear him? Can't you hear him? He said, as he grabs one by the arm, pulls him up close, someone just whispers in the ear, I just want to tell you, you're making my joy complete. I'm an old man. I'm about to die. I just want to tell you before I die, I'm proud for you. I'm proud of you. Like a pawpaw, kind of. That's John of 2 John. Like a pawpaw. Wanting to look everybody in the eye. But Grace Fellowship, it's not just for John. It's for us. When's the last time you had people into your home? From this fellowship. Broke bread with them. When's the last time? Not, not for some ulterior motive, but just because just you hadn't seen them and you just want to talk to them. You just want to know them. You want to celebrate Christ with them. When's the last time that you heard somebody might be having a tough time and you didn't just write them a letter, that's good, or call them or email them, but you got up from what you were doing and you went to them. And you said, I just want to see you face to face. I want you to know I love you. You know, as I was studying for this message, I realized I, I love people. I mean, we invite people to live in our house. We, we have people in our house and out of our house. But I want to tell you what, I, I didn't sit in judgment of people and say, you know, these people, they don't do that, and these people, they don't do that. And you know what I did the whole time? I thought, here's that situation where I didn't do it. I knew something was in need, and I just sat back. I failed right there. I cost that person because I wasn't loving. I wasn't kind. I didn't live in the gospel. I was selfish. I was tired. Hey, I want to encourage you. We've come a long way. Our church is known as a church of truth. And in some quarters, and I believe it's true, we're a church that loves. But we've got to continue to press on in the gospel love I've described today. Continue to push further into it, not pull away from it. For the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, as we bow and close this time, I know that...